Welcome to Standout, where you're going to hear from some exceptional entrepreneurs. You'll learn what steps they took to get them where they are and what you can do to make your mark. I'm your host, Cheryl Tan, with CherylTanMedia.com. You can find the episodes, the show notes, and the accompanying video of the show all in one place at CherylTanMedia.com forward slash podcast. Sign up for my newsletter there and get media strategies I only share with readers. Looking for the perfect business opportunity? Be prepared to do your homework to make sure it is indeed the right fit. Jefferson Lilly easily spent hundreds of hours researching his investment in mobile home parks. It's a real estate market that's not often talked about, not when you consider single-family homes, apartment buildings, and commercial complexes are also part of the conversation. But Jefferson decided to take the leap with some incredible results. You'll hear how he started investing while he had a successful day job and how he really scaled up after finding a business partner. Park Street Partners now owns 13 mobile home parks in the Midwest. If you're trying to figure out how to grow your company bigger and better and what you need to have in place for a business partnership to succeed, take a listen to our conversation. Jefferson, it is a pleasure having you on the Standout Show. Welcome. Thank you, Cheryl. Great to be here. Let's start with a little bit about your background, Uh, just to kind of set the scene. You're in California and you are a mobile home park investment expert, which is a mouthful, and we're going to dig into that. <laughs> but how did you become an entrepreneur? What was kind of your your first moment you realized, hey, I'm a business person? Yeah. Oh, good heavens. That goes way back. I mean, I've always, I've always been interested in, in business and investing um, since I was a kid. I mean, I, I remember going out at age 11 and shoveling the deep Denver snow and making like 25 bucks and it all was in ones. And I brought this big pile of ones back to my parents' conference table uh, at, at home and piled it up. And at age 11, you know, 25 bucks, I think I was making a buck a week. That was six months worth of salary right there in front of me at one time for an afternoon's work. So that kind of got me turned on to more shoveling and lawn mowing and delivering the Denver Post and all kinds of things. And anyway, that just grew up. I ended up buying my first stock when I was 17. Awesome. Um, I won't tell you how old I am, but let's just say that was long before internet trading. I had to have my dad co-sign a physical trade ticket to give to our broker. Um, anyways, yeah, I started investing really at, at age 17 with that first stock purchase and it's kind of grown up to, uh, to now my, my, my real estate business, uh, which I guess I now own all or part of about 13 parks in, uh, eight different Midwestern states. I love so, that. I yeah. love that niche because I've heard you talk about it being, um, not super organized. And so I want to know how you, it sounds like you were an investor first. So investor yes. from a very young age, 17. Um, yep. And so that part, probably in your brain, you're looking for things to invest in. You're looking for yep. opportunities. How did yep. you come upon the mobile home park industry as something that you're like, hmm, let me try that? Yeah. So uh, I had been fairly heavily invested in the stock market going through the whole dot-com boom and bust oh, at time. Yeah. yeah. At the time, I was actually working at a startup out here in Silicon Valley, uh, and we did sell the startup. Um, but uh, really, after that experience, I uh, I knew I was a little more lucky than smart, uh, although it's always better to be lucky than smart. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I just started thinking, you know, 
personal finance is never black and white, but I just started thinking, you know, to the extent anybody's right versus wrong, Warren Buffett is really right about personal investing. So I stopped doing high tech, dot com, solar tech, silly tech investing, and just really focused on value investing in the stock market, more basic industry, basic business stuff. And then after about another five years, I started thinking, well, let me maybe diversify out of the stock market and buy some real estate. Hmm. Um, and I thought about Warren Buffett's advice, which is always to stay within your circle of competence. Uh, and then I figured, you know, I've always lived in a house or an apartment building. I don't really know anything about office or retail shopping centers. Why don't I buy some small apartment building? Yeah. Uh, and then just in looking online at various uh, commercial websites like LoopNet, um, you know, I would see under multifamily search, uh, I would see like 99 apartment buildings at an eight or nine cap which means yielding 8 or 9% on your money. Wow. And then there'd be this like one mobile home park at 10, 11, 12 cap rate, just a much higher yield. Um, and of course, I initially thought, well, that's absurd. I'm not buying a freaking trailer park. And I deleted the search result. <laughs> and then I did the search result, you know, again and again, whether it was Peoria, Illinois, or Lubbock, Texas, or Omaha, Nebraska, everywhere I was looking in the Midwest, uh, mobile home parks yielded much more money. Really? Uh, so I then just started, you know, I, I then had an epiphany after getting hit over the head, you know, four or five times with the search results. I just said, you know, I wasn't going to live in the apartment building anyway. Why don't I look into this quirky little niche? It does seem to be multifamily. So then I started reading every book and tape and going to some seminars. Uh, I built up an unofficial advisory board of about 10 guys in the business that already owned mobile home parks. And I started running deals by them and they would, you know, give me thumbs up or thumbs down or certain key questions to ask. So that that was really important to have those sorts of advisors uh, giving me uh, uh, free input. Um, but the mobile home park business really stood out once I looked into it. It fit a lot of what Warren Buffett teaches about investing. And, and really, it's a couple of quick things. So it's the only real estate niche, Cheryl, that's actually shrinking. Now, it's not shrinking because for lack of demand. It's mm -hmm. shrinking because it's really illegal or, let's say, a, a, against zoning code to build any more mobile home parks. Uh, so you can't have any more. And the can't ones really existing, right, the ones existing are yeah. shrinking for whatever reason. Yeah. Well, and then best guesstimates are that about 1% of this niche 1% of all mobile home parks get plowed under every year and become, you know, some sexy shopping mall or higher end apartment community or what have you. Mm -hmm. um, again, very different than, for instance, the rest of multifamily. If you buy an apartment building, you'll always have more competition, at least when, when times are good. They're always building more apartment buildings and more self-storage and more shopping and more office and more, more, more of every other kind of real estate. Only mobile home parks are actually shrinking, which, of course, means... Uh, those tenants have to go somewhere because in general, they own their own home. So they have to then move those homes into the remaining mobile home parks. Um, so that's just an incredible industry dynamic to have, uh, to, to have your competition slowly but surely going away. Okay. Anyway, that's one of a couple of things that makes this a very compelling niche in which to invest. It is fascinating. I've, I've honestly, I've never thought of it before as an investment opportunity. There's a couple things I want to talk about is first, as an entrepreneur, you have your own business, but this is kind of a way to 
really diversify your portfolio. And everyone yep. talks about real estate. So you, you've already yep. talked about how, okay, the home market is saturated, apartments weren't working, and so you came upon this particular niche. When yep. you are purchasing a mobile home park, though, you're just purchasing the land, but not the homes? Is, is that correct? That's usually the case. Yeah, you want to buy the real estate and not the wheel estate, as we call it. <laughs> That's clever. Um, yeah, but uh, I, I'm full of lots of cute little sound bites, you'll see. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> um, usually you will get some homes, maybe 10% of the homes come with the park. Mm -hmm. um, but another thing that makes this a particularly compelling niche, as you've highlighted, is that really the goal is to own the land. Now, if you've got tenants that own their own house, that means a couple two, a couple of key things. First, they maintain those proverbial leaky toilets and leaky roofs. It's not really that expensive to maintain land. We do do some sewer unstops and some lawn mowing, but that's dramatically less than having to actually, again, fix toilets, roofs, repaint houses, re-carpet houses, redo electrical systems. Anyway, so... We have a more responsive, frankly, a more responsible tenant base. They've typically graduated up out of apartment living and they own their own house. Right. <clears throat> These are hardworking folks. They may not own a house as nice as you and I do, but they own those four walls of that house. So they're more incented to take care of it. Um, you'd be surprised. I'm sure their maintenance costs are much lower too, because they're not treating that house as if they were a tenant. Right. They've they've come up into home ownership. So we as landowners have a much lower uh, total cost of, of maintenance. Um, and those mobile homes, frankly, are expensive to move. So tenants typically, you know, don't pick up and, and move the houses. If they need to take a job in another city, they're much, much more likely, 95, 98% more likely to sell the house in place and potentially to us but hopefully they just put an ad on Craigslist, sell it to someone else, and they'll move to their new city and buy a mobile home there. So the tenant really becomes, the tenant really is the home, not, not the person in the home. Somebody, either the previous tenant or the new tenant, has got to be paying the lot rent uh, on that house. So again, the, the, the turnover, when, when viewed from that perspective, the turnover is a couple percent a year. I mean, most mobile homes stay in a mobile home park for like 50 years. So your tenant turnover is like 2% a year. You compare that with uh, apartment buildings where the tenants, you know, are, are really the people moving in and out. And, and there it's about 50% turnover. I think people only mm -hmm. stay in apartments about two years. Right. So anyway, we have much lower turnover costs and lower, uh, <clears throat> lower maintenance costs because in general, we only own the land. Where we do own the houses, we'll put those on rent to own agreements mm -hmm. and <clears throat> try and well, we will get those homes sold usually in one to two months. Um, so again, we, we help people become homeowners. Mm -hmm. uh, where we've got even vacant pads in a mobile home park, we'll buy mobile homes, either new or used, bring them in. We'll often carry the paper and, and sell those on rent-to-own agreement uh, contracts. Um, but anyway, so we're, we're, we're expanding the supply of affordable housing. We're helping people get out of the game of paying rent forever in an apartment building. Um, and in probably just three to five years, they're going to own that house. There's no 30-year mortgage mm -hmm. in our business. They're going to – they see the light right. at the end of the That's tunnel. Right. 
When so that gives us a very motivated tenant base to, to take care of their house and become homeowners. When you got into the game, when you realized yeah. that this was a viable opportunity for investment, who was already owning them? Like, were they people within that community? Were they corporations? And how hard was it to break into it? It's not a hard business to break into. Uh, my best guess is that there are probably a thousand mobile home parks that come up for sale every year. Oh. Uh, now, compared to apartment complexes, you know, there are probably more like a hundred thousand apartment complexes that come up. My my best guess is that the apartment market is about a hundred times bigger than the mobile home park business, which is obviously one of the reasons not very many people ever hear about it or ever think about investing in it. Um, but if you can do some legwork and find the deals, some of them are on websites, but really the best is probably to be prospecting yourself, sending out postcard mailers, making follow-up calls. Um, if you can generate the, the deal flow yourself, then I would say most any investor over the span of a year is going to find something compelling to invest in. Um, and then, then, then you can view it either as that one investment or you can scale it uh, the way we have here at, at Park Street Partners. We really have an investment business. We've got, you know, uh, we've got people that, that help us manage the properties and do accounting and, and we're hiring on more people to help us with that. Anyway, people can choose whether they just want to have an investment or grow it up into an investment business and really systematize the process of finding and managing more parks. Oh, I want to hear more about that, how you figured out how to scale it, where it was not just you yeah. going out to the Midwest and yeah. scouting out parks, how you brought in a team and some of those challenges with growing it into something more than just Jefferson Lilly to sure. the partners altogether. Yeah. Um, yeah. So what happened, honestly, was I had been in the business uh, about five or six years uh, and my partner, Brad Johnson, just cold called me and said, hey, we should partner. Uh, he's got more of a real estate investment banking background uh, with East Dill Secured, which was Wells Fargo's, is Wells Fargo's investment bank um, and Advent and uh, some some other companies. Uh, and then I had the, the operational experience for the parks. Um, so he does raise most of the money and I do most of the operations, but it's, it, it is a bit of a gray area and, 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 and we both do some of, some of both. Um, but just having a partner was a key step in scaling. Um, it really, I found it really sort of held me accountable to be making progress. It was great to have somebody, you know, uh, aligned with, with my goals of, of growing uh, and to be doing, you know, weekly calls together and, you know, daily and sometimes hourly emails and text messaging back and forth. Um, so that helped. And uh, even then, initially, it was really just the two of us um, doing most everything. Uh, we, I did bring in one outside bookkeeper that helped. But I'd say maybe after a year, we, we got uh, someone else to really be a dedicated bookkeeper, um, and we got an accounting firm to do all of our K-1s because, again, as a partnership, it, it wasn't just – well, uh, we both needed to raise outside money to, sure. to, to buy properties. We didn't have our own capital. So right. very quickly we had to have, an uh, uh, again, the accountant, the lawyer, 
Um, and then we were preparing, you know, proper offering documents and K-1s and things. That's mm -hmm. basically the tax document that pays the profits out to the limited partners. Um, anyway, and then just uh, earlier this year, we brought on an asset manager. So that's somebody, uh, he's working not quite full time, uh, but he's basically responsible for managing the managers. So for instance, when, when a house comes back to us and it's abandoned and the tenant has trashed it and it needs to be repainted and re-sheetrocked and re-carpeted, he'll get bids to have that house renovated. Um, or likewise, he'll get multiple bids to have a park repaved. Um, so asset managers in our world handle really the incremental investment in a park. Brad and I are still making the decisions what to buy and, and how to raise money for it, both debt and equity. Uh, but the asset manager then is, is much more responsible for the day-to-day -day, uh, growth and improvement of, of the property and investing, uh, you know, typically five and maybe six figures, right? Mm -hmm. When we buy the park, that's a six or seven figure sure. investment. Uh, so the asset manager handles then kind of the incremental investment and improvement. And then the managers on site, you know, do the rent collections and 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 take care of those sewer unstops and get the lawns mowed and do those more regular things that, mm -hmm. that you think of, of managers, property managers doing. So yeah, we've got now, I don't know, probably almost 20 folks that work for us, uh, generally part-time. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, but yeah, we're probably at, at, at about 20 folks in our organization across the um, the 13 properties. That's pretty incredible. Over just yeah. what, five years you said that you were able uh, to grow well, that? I've been, I've been in the business about a decade, but we've just been partnering about two and a half years. Okay. So yeah, we've gotten to basically gone from just me to now with two, at, at that time I had two properties on my own to now we've got 13 total. And again, wow. about 20 folks. So in, in about two and a half years, We've gone from uh, one person to 20. <laughs> I, I want to delve more into that. How had you not partnered? I mean, you've doubled, uh, tripled. What is that number? You're the math guy. It's over the last couple of years, you've grown exponentially versus yeah. what you would have done alone. Is, yes. You are looking, it sounds like, for something to help you grow. But yeah. had that connection not been made, how would you have made that happen? Like, how did you know it was the right fit? How did you know that you guys were on the right track, that you wanted the same things for this joint company? Yeah. yeah so uh, we talked initially on the phone after Brad uh, sent me that email with the presentation. Uh, we talked on the phone, and actually, I think we probably talked a couple of times, sure. uh, again, to, to make sure we're thinking about this the same way, and we're going to go after generally the same kind of parks. There are different kinds of parks, some of them you know, are, are right for some investors. Others are, are right for different kinds of investors. So we wanted to make sure we were on the same page about that. Um, but then I, I just flew down. Uh, I brought my wife. We flew down to Southern California where he is and uh, just got to, actually he took me golfing. And uh, then our families got together, his wife and, and my wife and the four of us got together, had dinner, kind of the families got to know one another. We still had some another couple of follow-up discussions, but, but then decided it would be uh, a good fit. So, so you make far it's it sounds well. so yeah. easy, but I've heard uh. some horror <laughs> stories about partnerships. So what are some best practices yeah. to make it work um, in a way that grows your business 
and keeps all of you sane. And especially since both of you are on the West Coast and your properties are in the Midwest, I mean, there's a lot that could go wrong. So what are some best practices that you can share in working with someone on something with so many tentacles? Yeah. So we put in place a partnership agreement, which I would highly recommend folks have. So what the way we structured it was that it's not really a job description. It's not like Brad has to do this, this, and this, and Jefferson has to do this, this, and this. Uh, the partnership agreement is fairly vague, I think, frankly, about what we're doing. It, But it ultimately does say that if either of us are unhappy and want to leave the partnership, that there's a shotgun clause is what it's what it's called. Um, not quite as violent as it sounds, but basically it means if either one of us in the partnership is not happy, we would make an offer to buy out the other guy. Now, the other guy can turn that offer around on the first guy and say, no, 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 I'm buying you out at that price. So that holds each of us accountable to not lowball the other guy. If I say, hey, I want to buy you out for $1, he can say, no, 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 I'm buying you out for $1. And you can't counter, right? That That's a shotgun clause. Right. It's just, oh, okay. It, that's it. It, it. It's a mutual buy or sell offer, basically. But that would force, of course, force either partner to think long and hard about breaking up the partnership and long and hard about valuation and to make the other guy a fair offer. So uh, I would recommend that anybody, no matter what the business is, whatever it is, I don't care if you're running hair salons or an insurance company or real estate, whatever your business is, uh, have a partnership agreement. And I would say have a shotgun clause that holds each of your feet to the fire and forces you to treat the other guy fairly if either party wants out. Um, Anyway, I'm a much bigger fan of that, again, than trying to come up with a very specific job description for each of us and then say, oh, well, you didn't do this and you didn't do that and blah, blah, blah. Forget it. I mean, the partnership's growing, uh, as I think most partnerships do. Hopefully, we're growing. Roles are changing. We're hiring on more people. You know, some of the things that would have been on my job description aren't anymore. And likewise for Brad, because we've hired on more folks. Anyway, so I just think it's hard to really come up with specifics mm-hmm. in a partnership agreement. I, again, recommend that it be more vague, but with a shotgun clause. So if you're not happy, you got to treat the other guy fairly to get out. Right. And I think there's also an arbitration clause in it. So it's I think it's really, we, we can't really sue one another. We have to go into uh, arbitration, which presumably is both quicker and less expensive. Anyway, all that I think is fairly generic advice for really anybody's business to have in their partnership agreement. Right. Any other stuff though for, uh, for folks who are wanting to bring in, because people will tell you that in order to grow, you need to bring in more people. And so that may mean either yep. taking on a partnership or hiring more, but partnerships yep. seem to um, give you kind of that equal footing. So um, any, anything that, that you've learned, uh, and then we'll move on to another topic related to investing. Yeah, um, it would certainly not not be impossible for us to bring on a third full partner. Uh, that gets a little more complex than about how you would do a three-way shotgun. If somebody wasn't happy, I'd have to think through that. Um, <laughs> but what's more likely, and this may be somewhat more unique to real estate investing, you know, we raise a series of funds. We typically do a fund every year. So it's possible that we would bring on a partner in the fund, basically a junior partner, 
uh, Brad and I would still be at the general partner, the higher level, and frankly, also personally signing on a lot of the debt that makes the real estate transactions go. And then a junior partner would would not have decision-making authority in the partnership, but they'd be raising money and doing deals just for that fund, and they would get part of the profits of mm. that fund. But again, not be up at the senior partnership level. They're, they're basically a junior partner. Um, for what it's worth, you know, my wife's works at a very large private equity firm with billions under management and their fund still works the same way. They're two guys at the senior level and then they have junior partners that have an interest in in their various funds. But uh, even after 20 something years and multiple billions under management, that partnership is still the senior general partners are still just two guys. Uh, <laughs> Anyway, it'll be a long time and frankly, probably never before we manage billions, but hey. <laughs> down at the single digit millions level, and we think it makes sense here too. <laughs> you never know, Jefferson. You never know, right? <laughs> should think big. <laughs> <laughs> I want to talk more about investing because I think um, entrepreneurs and the entrepreneurs who listen to this show, they have um, all kinds of companies that they're running, whether they're law firms, accounting firms, they're yep. uh, service-based businesses, and investing may not be something that they consider, but maybe yeah. something as, as you've talked about in diversifying, maybe something they should, maybe they should take a little page from Warren Buffett and from you and think about investing in some sort of real estate, some sort of unusual real estate, maybe in yeah. their mind when they listen to this, what's some of your yeah. advice for them as you, as you, as you know, as they're, they're building their business, they're busy, they're doing stuff. Yeah, exactly. But what would you say for them as far as investing in other ventures to help grow their net worth? Yeah. So I think, frankly, there's an enormous amount of opportunity in real estate generally, um, and there are uh, a lot of partnerships uh, that, like ours that may solicit through investment clubs or through um, some online crowdfunding uh, websites like uh, Realty Mogul and CrowdStreet, and gosh, there are probably now you know, 15 or 20 others, uh, and all that really has come out of the JOBS Act. Uh, passed a couple of years back, which allows, you know, small partnerships like ours to raise capital online. That used to be illegal. Um, anyway, but that's, that's all, that's all legal now. So I would encourage folks to look at a range of partnerships. Um, you can find a lot of those again online or, or through local investment clubs. I think it's a fairly, you know, untapped market so far. Um, and certainly we'd love it if folks consider Park Street Partners. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but yeah, really, they'll, they'll need to make a decision, right? If you're going to buy any kind of real estate, and I would say especially something like a mobile home park that does have more complexity to it, you need to get smart about it. You need to be you know, capable of dedicating probably 100 to 200 hours just getting smart about the business. If that's too much for somebody, then you should consider being a passive investor. You should consider investing in somebody else's fund. Um, it's a little easier if you're doing really simple, like triple net uh, real estate. Like if you buy a Walgreens, the building that Walgreens leases, then all you do is receive a check and Walgreens, you know, maintains the property. They pay, I believe they even pay the property tax. 
So if you're really, really looking for super simple real estate, you can do that sort of thing, probably without spending 200 hours learning about that. Um, but mobile home parks are a little more complex. The returns are also higher, right? Doing something simple real estate like Walgreens is probably going to pay you 5 or 6% on your money a year. Uh, doing real estate yourself, mobile home parks might pay 30% a year. Uh, we've got one deal that's doing 40 Wow. percent a year cash on cash um that's unusual but but it is possible to really hit it out of the park but you got to build up the expertise know the business get some deal flow and be sure you're buying the right property and then be sure you're managing it correctly um so yeah it does just come down to time um i spent a, I, I easily spent a couple hundred hours getting smart about this business. Uh, and then I bought my first park, which was a simple, relatively simple park. We had no park owned homes. It was just land, right? Like I talked about, it was just a parking lot. And I did that for a year. And, and I still had my day job working in, in high tech here in Silicon Valley. So I, I, I had my feet in, in both worlds. I had a W-2 income, plus I had all the, uh, you know, the, the dividend income from the real estate for about a year. So I got to know it even then. I, I didn't quit my day job initially. It took about a year before I transitioned into real estate fully and, again, then went on to buy a second park and, 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 and grow. So, um, but anyway, so th that's what you can do. Now, if, if that's not for you, that kind of time and whatnot isn't for, for you, then you probably, again, need to think about being a passive investor in a fund. Okay. Well, Jefferson, tell us more about how folks can reach out to you, learn more about what you offer them, and maybe talk about Park Street Partners as well. Sure. So uh, we, uh, so our website, let me throw that out, is parkstreetpartners.net. Okay. Uh, and we actually have resources there, both for folks that might want to own their own mobile home park, uh, as well as for folks that might want to invest with us. So either way, check out parkstreetpartners.net. Uh, if you do want to uh, invest, I believe there's a button on our homepage that says see current investments. So it's, it's pretty idiot proof to, to, to find us and to get through to our investment materials. Um, there's a page there that I believe simply says resources if folks are looking to buy their own. Um, but we raise funds uh, generally one a year uh, and we go out and acquire uh, all ages, generally all ages mobile home parks in the Midwest. Uh, we tend to find real estate uh, on both coasts to be a little uh, too expensive for us. So we own in places like Wyoming and Kansas and Oklahoma, Illinois, Indiana, Ohio, Wisconsin, Michigan. Uh, we're about to do another state. That'll be next month. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, so we're buying in the great American heartland. Uh, we're able to generate uh, anywhere 10 to 15 percent cash on cash returns for our limited partners. And then there probably will be another 10% appreciation on top of that. So we think most of our investors for making a passive investment will probably earn around 20% a year. No guarantees. Please read all of our offering memorandums in the small print. But uh, anyway, for folks that, that want to invest uh, in the space, obviously with, with experienced owners like Brad and myself, we'd love to have a conversation with them. And uh, again, parkstreetpartners.net uh, is our website. 
I will link that website and your resources to our show notes at CherylTanMedia.com. It's been a pleasure talking with you, Jefferson. An interesting topic. And when you're talking about money, of course, everyone's ears, they're perking up. So uh, do your homework, as you mentioned, but uh, think about certainly other investments to diversify your portfolio. Uh, Before we go, um, it's a question I ask all the folks who are on our show is what makes you a standout? Well, Cheryl, you're part of it. It's podcasting. (laughs) So we uh, have the first and the largest uh, mobile home park podcast. It's simply called Mobile Home Park Investors. uh, And people can find that off our mobilehomeparkinvestors.net website. So I'll throw that one out as well. Um, But we, I think we're a standout because we're actively educating folks Uh, We love social media. Our podcast gets downloaded about 6,000 times a month right Right. now and growing. Uh, And for such a niche like mobile home parks, we think that's pretty good. Um, So I think we're a standout uh, because we generate good returns for folks and because we actively educate folks uh, as to what we do and how we make so much money. That's what makes us a standout. I think that's great. And congratulations on this great success. I appreciate your time, Jefferson. Hey, thank you for having me on. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Standout. You can get more information about Jefferson's company and podcast from this episode's show notes, which you can find at CherylTanMedia.com forward slash podcast. This is episode 27. It has been an honor to connect with so many forward-thinking entrepreneurs. The best way to get their stories in front of more people is to subscribe to and review the show on iTunes. Thank you in advance for your support. If you'd like to be reminded when new standout episodes come out, you can sign up for my newsletter at CherylTanMedia.com. Until next time, thanks so much for joining me. I'm Cheryl Tan.